Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who's a firm believer in the old adage that if you see a gun in the first act, it'll be painted polka dot in the second act. (laughs) I am the Adam Glass, and yeah, uh, that's uh, Chekhov's paint. Yeah, it's it's, Um, it's a little known sort of addendum to the to the to the to the theory that that was added later. Um. (laughs) Yes, Uh, by by the dot eyes. <laughs> it will be bedazzled at some point uh, before before it is used. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to bonus content. And everybody loves bonus content, right? Yeah, I do. It's, it's why Pat I'm here, does. frankly. Pat does. Pat is only a part of the podcast because he gets that exclusive access to the bonus content before anyone else can hear Absolutely. it. Absolutely. This is totally true. 100%. Uh yeah, we do a non-criterion film over there, and our supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch. Uh, I put together a list every month with uh, four films that are usually themed, and then a fifth film that is always uh, Kazam, the uh, children's movie from 1996 in which Shaquille O'Neal plays a genie. Uh, not to be confused with the film that doesn't exist. Not to be confused with Shazam, which does exist now, but isn't the movie that <laughs> It's the movie you think it is. Do you think that uh, that broke the spell? Maybe. I Maybe. don't hear about that problem anymore. And I suspect that, that an actual film being made named Shazam fixed the problem. We have a lot of fun over there. We've got a lot of bonus episodes. 50, uh, 56, I think, right now. Non-criterion films, as I said. Though occasionally we have picked something that is uh, criterion adjacent enough to later be added to the criterion collection. Um and we, we also watch movies that should be in the Criterion Collection for various reasons. Um, but yeah, honestly, I don't think, uh, what was even the name of that that one? The the one that's the straight version of uh, of Doctor Strangelove. Oh, um, um, oh, crap, now I don't remember. I can't remember the name it's, of it, um, but it was that. Something. <laughs> very shortly after we did it, it was added to the Criterion Collection. Uh, and honestly, I really have no idea why. It's 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 fine, but it should be like a bonus feature on the Doctor Strange Love disc, not not a, its own full separate release. Um, though also, you know, in recent months on on the podcast, we've also had discussions about how uh, we really hate it when the Criterion Collection gives us a whole second movie unspined on the right. on the on the disc as well. So, uh, you know, I ha- I contain multitudes. Okay, don't question me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah we have a lot of fun over there we watch a, a lot of interesting movies not that we don't watch interesting movies here but you know it's 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 a different a different way of approaching consumption of media i guess you know here we've got this set list that we're working through systematically over there there's a little more randomness uh introduced and you know it's fun um I would I would have loved from the start, honestly, to have just done a, a set of movies that are voted on by the listeners, always. 
which you can't just start a podcast that does that. You have to have some sort of established relationship with people. So I mean, it's I mean, you out. could start a podcast like that. It would just be very quiet and very sad and right, kind of lonely. <laughs> yes, very lonely. You would just keep oh, you anyway. keep begging people to to please please vote for this thing. Please vote. You don't exist, but please vote. So you would end up having right. to fake it for a while. Uh, you would end up faking it until you make it. I guess. I guess that works. And then I've created 500 Twitter accounts, and what am I going to do with that? I mean, I don't know. Probably promote NFTs or something. I don't know. Yeah, that, you know. It, what, it really what do you do when a, you have five fake, 500 uh, fake Twitter accounts? I don't know. Scams. It would have been a much, yeah, much better money-making venture in the long run if we had done it that way. That's rare. Anyway, we didn't do it that way. We did it this other way uh, with Patreon. Uh, like I said, one dollar gets you the vote, gets you access to uh, those bonus episodes, all the back catalog of bonus episodes too. Uh, a little above that, five dollars. We like to thank those folks on air, and we're so grateful for those people who can give us a little extra help keep us going. Thank you, Stephen Goldmeyer, Eric Coronado, Chris Otto, and Andrew Jarrett, our current five dollars yes, supporters. Thank you very much. A bit above that, we do something pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard once a month and write a little personalized thank you note. Send that off. So if you love bespoke art, bespoke mail, and who doesn't? Those postcards, uh, they do get sent out once a month, but you can go and see all the past ones. And they are for sale at redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion on there. And uh, you can buy them as postcards, as regular greeting cards, as uh, pins occasionally, as magnets usually, or stickers. Um, None as shower curtains yet. As of yet. But... But we're waiting for the right shower piece of curtains, art, and that's on throw path. pillows, duvet yeah. covers. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so if you want to check out buying a duvet cover of like something I made, that would be amazing and also terrifying. You could just order one yourself. Pat. If I could, if, if if we're offered product, I might. Uh, uh, just what I it would it probably be like. Uh, was it um, super sad doctor man? Would probably be the one I would yeah. choose. That's oh, that's the go to. Your wife would love that. <laughs> it wouldn't be uncomfortable uh, at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can head over to that Red Bubble store and check out all the past postcards and buy them if you like, or just get a feel for what you're committing to if you do uh, support us on patreon.com. <laughs> let's be, let, let's be very clear here. Mark. You can cancel at any time. You can cancel at any time. Um, <laughs> Actually, I'm sorry. Course. We only operate on two-year contracts. And if you cancel, you're going to have to return the postcards. That's fair. That's fair. Maybe we should implement that. No, let's not do that. Uh, because we want to keep our $10 and above supporters, and we're so grateful to have them. We're going to thank them on air. Thank you so much to Jason Westhaber, to Patrick Yako, Tracy McGrath, Nina Bojnack, and Adam Speakerman. Uh, so happy to have your support. So happy to have thank everyone's you. support. And uh, so happy to have you listening. Thanks. Pat, this week we are talking about Dillinger is Dead, a 1969 Italian film that uh, Wikipedia says it is a drama, but I'm going to say defies uh, I would describe it as surrealism that is pretending to be realism. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, It is directed by Marco, uh, Marco Ferreri. Uh, who had been a film producer through the 50s, late 50s, early 60s, and then moved into direction um, 
Well, his first directing was 1958, so it's not... This is not his first film. Let's be very clear. This is not not at all his first and film. And it wasn't even his first uh, hit with regards to Italian cinema. Like, no, the, the, no. the extra materials make it clear it, that he was... Yeah. He had an off-and-on-again relationship with the Italian uh, cinematic press and what had made movies that were, like, well-regarded. Right. Uh, it is. It is, however... The only one of his films in the Criterion. I'm okay collection. with that. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I I'd be I, interested to see I, other things he's done. I like, but it's also kind of clear uh, from everything we watched that, uh, as bonus materials that this is very a very singular piece of work. That his other yeah. work is not this. Uh, uh, and this was this was a a um. Enough of a call. A, a I don't know. I don't know what word I would use to describe my feelings about this movie exactly. If I were trying to put it into a single sort of adjective, but I don't know that. Like I, I don't know that I need anything else from him per se. I suppose that's fair. Uh, he's he's an interesting guy. Uh, he's working at the same time as some of our favorite Italians. Um, <laughs> All of our favorite Italians. Well, I mean, arguably, only only because the neorealists did have pretty long careers, yeah. but he's <laughs> sort of the generation after them. Um, but not yeah, even that's kind of arguable because obviously Fellini, you know, is making movies at the same, and some of some of our favorite Fellini work is probably around this time too. And and Fellini's, uh, you know, he got his start pretty early on. Um, also, some of our least favorite, like, uh, what is it, Anto- Antonioni? Right. Uh, yeah, I mean. You know, La Ventura. Yeah, I, it's uh, really interesting because a lot of the, the bonus materials dig into Antonioni and, like, I, I, but I also feel the parallels so hard. This this movie, if I were going to think of a sort of, uh, a sort of, um, a, fill, a sort of, like, uh, a match to Antonioni, I, I would, this would be. This is this is very much at the same ballpark, um, to me at least personally. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you know, even with all those guys, though, we're mostly talking about, you know, early '60s with some of that work. Like La Ventura came out in 1960. Um, uh, yeah, I guess it did. I I had, I had forgotten yeah. how early that was. So we're, there's there's explicit references made in the bonus materials to La Ventura, like and the and the right, sort of similarities right, right, right. that this has to that. Right, right. No. Whereas, I suppose, Pasolini's getting his start around around this time. Some of his earlier works are just uh, just after this, from what we've seen so far. Um, you know, uh, Salo is, of course... Right, but, yeah, if we think about... But Mama Roma, Mama Roma was 62, so that's, you know... Pasolini's working through the 60s. Right. I would say um, that the things that we most resonate with would be... Would still predate this. Yeah. I don't know. The more Pasolini we t- uh, watch, the more we resonate this with. This is true. Uh, we, whereas we, we have, our Pasolini we have, is a weirdly not fully fleshed out element of the Criterion Collection for right. some reason. Yeah. Whereas... We have never watched an Antonioni film that we have resonated <laughs> yeah, with. I can't imagine. Yet. I can't imagine why. Uh, uh, so, um, 
I feel like there might have been La Eclise, I, I think. I don't remember I, that one. It, we may I have. I kind of liked. Or maybe it was Lenote. I think I it was remember. Lenote. Anyway. I think you and I had a bit of a yeah. disagreement about Lenote because I I, yeah. I operated on the belief that the die was cast, and you you were trying to get the benefit of the doubt, I believe. <laughs> right, right. Anyway, um, doesn't really matter because we're not talking about any of those guys. We're talking about this other guy. Uh, <laughs> Dillinger is Dead came out in 69, which, uh, you know... He had an association with uh, Godard in Godard's uh, uh, Marxist period. Um, the uh, I can't remember the the name of it offhand, and, and I'm sure someone's yelling at it. But the 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 sort of Marxist um, documentary group, film group that oh, right. Godard was working yeah. with through the '60s, uh, that sort of like slowly did the process of radicalizing him. Yeah. Um, Ferrari uh, was a producer for some of those works, uh, according to the Criterion essay, at least. I actually looked and couldn't find any particular movie <laughs> that that he was a producer for. But the uh, the essay that accompanies this um, called Dillinger is Dead Apocalypse Now uh, okay. by Michael, Michael Joshua. OK. Rowling, uh, says that he was. Uh, he was a producer of some of those works. Um, yeah, so he's he's a leftist. He's kind of a weird leftist, if we believe the uh, the other self-described leftists in some of the bonus materials about this, who talked about leftists of the late 60s in Italy thinking, <laughs> thinking that all pleasure was bourgeois right-wing. Yeah, um, I mean, this is definitely, uh, yeah, this doesn't fit exactly into that mold, but... yeah. Yeah, whereas Ferrari is is described within that as being someone who embraced pleasure and was not ashamed of of pleasure. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I would, based on this, film, I, can I believe... would argue that he he is taking he is ta- adopting a viewpoint of like the sorts of pleasure that is that is inherent to sort of bourgeois lifestyle and the sort of the things right, that right 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 it, it definitely it definitely takes issue with the idea of like what is considered pleasurable within the context of of a of a a, a fully capitalist and 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 industrialized society and and whether or not that's right. actual pleasure or not right but yeah this is this is a movie that exists in the same realm as Buñuel and as our favorite Godard yeah. films. Uh, it is very weird, and I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah, like I, I, I am, a, I have a very, I. This movie is a bit of a roller coaster as movies go. Um, yeah. I do like it. Let me be very, very, like a hundred percent clear that I do like this movie. I have a single issue with it that I would like. I almost think it's best maybe to just get out in the open right now. Oh, by all means. Because I do want to talk about the things I really do like about this movie. And I think and 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 then the I forget the name of the critic that's that's interviewed in um we've seen him before. We've seen him a million times actually, but Opera, I think. A P R A. Yeah. He Opera. he he does a lot. I like I really enjoyed his his analysis of it. It was a very good analysis of it. I don't agree 100% with everything he said, but it really did help shine some lights onto the context of things that were talked about and stuff. Um, but my issue with it is the problem whenever we get into it, it, 
my problem with it is is how how masculine oriented its its viewpoint yes. on the nature of the of 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 this process is right it it, it adopts a hyper masculine perspective and and one could argue that ferrari being a man and and having that experience it's it's the right choice in that way that he can relate to it and things like that the flip side of that is whenever you adopt a masculine perspective on these sorts of things especially on the sort of like i i I always take issue with the sort of quote-unquote emasculation that is associated with uh whenever you get into revolutionary talk of revolution and like what what consumerism and stuff does whenever you bring up like emasculation i feel like We've already walked down a road I don't particularly have any interest of in walking down. Right, right, right. And this movie does. I, I cannot argue with that critic with uh, upper air. What is it? Up, upper, upper, upra, apra. I can't really argue with the I think he's right about that, but I think that's also a wrong analysis. I, I my issue with yeah. it comes down to I think Ferrari and a lot of people working in this time period are doing bad analysis. Right. They're doing. They're doing. They're uh, doing. They're doing bad. They're doing bad Marxism, but like, like, and that that's its own problem, right? That but that is in the movie, and and my my one of my issues that comes from that is whenever they get into this, the the act of freeing themselves from this this emasculation this and this sort of bourgeois lifestyle almost inevitably involves hurting the like violently the women right. in their lives. And like, so, as, and and the problem with that comes down, and like, obviously, there's obvious problems with that. But my issue with that always also is part and parcel that it's like we, she's not a person in this movie. He isn't a, like a fully formed person, but he is a person. And and like, it's oh well, he's got to free himself, so that must involve him murdering her. Right, wherein right. like she's clearly going through the same quote unquote ennui that she, he is. There's no, there's never a thought that like they could like mutually liberate themselves, right? You very right. rarely get that movie. Right, yeah. Uh, Ferrari has described himself as half misogynist, half feminist, uh, and I hate that. Yeah, me too. I uh, wow, <laughs> way to just not say any. Well, we actually yeah. know what that means, right? The answer right, that is, right, is right. all misogynist, no feminist. Right, right, right. And it's, you know, it's it's critique we have had of sort of, uh, I think, pre-1969 Godard and um, some Fellini in there, too, I would say, certainly. Uh, it's not universal. Um, oh, and uh, I'll throw... Uh, um, uh, What's his name? The new pornographers guy. Oh, um, or the, or the not the new pornographers. Yeah, I, I, but I that's know what a you, band. I, yes, it is. I, I but I know what you mean. Uh, but the pornographers guy. Uh, Shohei Imamura. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he he probably even more extremely than the other ones you just named is just the most overtly yeah. misogynistic person you could possibly imagine. So yeah, uh, within that context, certainly. Um, yeah. So you know. Uh, the essay starts off with a, with a quote from Ferrari. The values that once existed no longer exist. The family, the bourgeoisie, I'm talking about values, morals, economic relationships. They no longer serve a purpose. My films are reactions translated into images. 
um, which almost seems like like three unrelated thoughts, honestly. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but um, so it's you know it's talking about the breakdown of society, um, you know, in a way that says this breakdown is needed because it is the you know. <laughs> We've been in we've been in late stage capitalism for seventy five years now, so that's great. Uh, but uh, um, you know, it's it's talking about that alienation that he feels. But you're right to say that the particular path that it takes within this movie is a misogynistic one. And, and I feel like um, honestly, especially in this time and place, that it, that seems like a very common path that that we've seen more yeah. than once. I've encountered in, in both film and other forms more than once there's there seems to be an it's sort of like in let in trying to let go of this relationship this sort of capitalist relationship that people that has been built up and all this stuff there's this idea that like there's this tendency towards what i would almost view as a as a fascist tendency which is that 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 sort of hyper fixation on masculinity that 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 kind of comes hand in hand with a belief like Oh, our morals have degraded, and also men aren't men anymore. I will say here more than almost any other director we've mentioned, with a possible exception of Bunel, but Bunel's got got issues in this area too. Um, I would say here that I really feel like our main character is a man in process, yes, but that Ferrari is also uh, critiquing. I I agree with that that process I, at I, every point. I I, right? I would argue that in the end, Ferrari is not telling you that this person is doing yeah. is like successful. <laughs> like let's be very I clear. Think, I think the storyline of Dillinger is dead as far as Ferrari's political viewpoint is that this is a man who has recognized the problems but followed the wrong impulses as to how to solve those right. problems. Right, and, and I would and agree with that. followed them in a way where he can justify himself as liberal, if not left, leftist. Right, I, and, and my issue is that is that, yes, I agree that he, that we, it, this is where things get very complicated, right? Like, Ferrari has, like many people, diagnosed him like his, his character doesn't diagnose. That's the issue, is that his character right. doesn't diagnose at all. His character just floats and then, like, tries to rebel and then just... just becomes well, I don't a... know. He he sets out his intention to rebel in in the first scene. Yeah, he does. You know, he does. About... That's true. But, like, it's 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 very, like, half-formed, and then there's... there's it's it, it feels... It very much feels like this character is floating. He, he is... Yeah. He is barely existing uh, for most of the movie, right? And then, like, he and everything still feels like an impulse, including the the sort of that that ending to it where he kills his wife. Like that, he doesn't feel like a fully formed philosophical animal. You know what I mean? Like he is. Well, remember that that's not exactly the ending I, because the I ending know. is. We're going to talk about the ending. He runs away and jumps We're on a gonna boat. We're going to talk about <laughs> the ending and the fact that the ending is definitely a ship of the damned. Let's be very clear here about right, this. Okay? Right. Like, right. He chose the yes. wrong path. Like, right. His rebellion against the system is not the wrong path, but murdering his wife and then jumping on a, a boat to a <laughs> mythical island that doesn't really exist 
as the you know is definitely a, a ship of the damned he you 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 chose poorly very very much so um but what i mean is, pat, is that what pat i do want to make sure you know tahiti is a real place no but i agree again with a prayer that, that like very much tahiti course, is a made no, up tahiti, place in this movie tahiti represents a, a made up place right no, like that's, it's, that's absolutely true the one thing i need to get a handle on that that is almost unrelated but sort of essential to my thought process on some of this is is the woman okay in the film that he watches in his room at one point there's a woman who is not his wife that he becomes fixated on ooh is it the same woman or not i do, I, I lack the visual intelligence to figure that out i don't think it is meant to okay be. i they just looked enough to me they felt Mostly like they were because similar enough that the woman on the boat is significantly younger i guess that's true I to the point where she, when she first when we it first see her on the boat, teenager. I thought she was fifteen. Yeah, she's she yeah. kind of reads almost as a teenager. Yeah, she, I guess that she true. reads a little older by the end of that sequence. But right, yeah, I, uh, okay, like that. That's just a. I mean, I feel like they sort of occupy the same space, right? And that's part of like yeah. where he goes wrong and all that stuff as well. But like, um, yeah, I, I, what I what I run into with as a problem is is that while Ferrari seems to be critiquing his character here. Ferrari also very clearly got the wrong answer on the test. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and and you can read it in the movie somehow. Like it it come it shines through. I knew that Ferrari got the wrong answer on the test before I watched any of the bonus materials, where it was confirmed for me that Ferrari got the wrong answer on the test. That yeah. that assumption of like the idea that somehow like capitalism also is an inherently emasculating process, as a part of the alienation, is is it feels like that's how you end up with bad horseshoe theory. Right. In that like and well, it's, you know what I mean? Like that 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 supposition the same stuff is so we've taken, fucked up. We've taken issue with this in in French particularly but Italian film as well of of this era uh of uh you know any movie that gets described as a you know a battle of the sexes or something like right. that, you know, a relationship a relationship between men and women, uh, you know, and tries to make some sort of writ large, uh, you know, pronouncements about that, but it's always from a male point of view. Right. And this um, is sort of doing that same thing, but with like capitalism and it's, right. it's weird. And it's, and, and it's, it, it is, if we set aside that as a problem, the movie is a really fascinating thing to watch and, and quite good it's just like it feels like it's a movie from 1969 is what it feels like right like right. it feels so 100%. intensely like a movie from 1969 that you could like borderline feel it emanating like off the, you feel like I, I feel like i could walk over to my screen and wipe 69 off of my off my screen <laughs> like it and and that paint and that colors it's really really intensely i to the point where like it didn't ruin my enjoyment of the film at all uh, I agree, but it just—it's like, it's like I just know that the analysis has gone bad, that we've 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 gone through the process and come to the wrong result, and like, I for a minute there, because he kept pantomiming killing himself, I kind of thought we might escape him deciding to murder his wife. Right. I that was a fool's dream. I dreamed it. I was wrong. I should have gone with my first impulse with he's definitely going to kill his wife. 
which is what I assumed nearly the moment we found the gun. Um, and then I hoped the improbable you hoped hope. You were wrong. Uh, yeah. Well, at least he didn't kill the maid. Yeah, but the maid I doesn't guess. represent any sort of trap, right? Like as far as this sort of emasculation process that they've that they've dreamed up is involved, she's not a trap. His wife is, right? And that's that's the problem, right? That that comes down to the problem is that like to escape this emasculation, he has to. His wife is somehow a part of the capitalist system rather than also somebody who's also oppressed by the system. Like it, it's really. It requires the director to fundamentally dehumanize the other person in the movie, right? Because she's not yeah. part of the the oppressed; she's part of the trap. Well, I think I think yeah, the wife and the maid are both dehumanized in that same. Well, they way. are. They are. The, the, but the the maid is yeah. dehumanized in a in a different way. I mean, she's dehumanized as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like I, I I'm not saying she's not dehumanized. She's just not dehumanized in the way the wife is. It, it's there. There. Right. There's a right. difference there. Um, I I mean, watching him go through the process is is a fascinating journey to go on. I do yeah. like watching that process. Yeah, and I think as you know, I guess I'm I'm more interested, and maybe it's just the fact that this is the only movie we've seen from him, right? And it's the first movie I've seen from him. Uh, in my life, even outside the podcast, uh, you know, uh, I am maybe interested in Ferrari psychology more than uh, you. Um, I'm, I'm not disinterested in his psychology. It just feels yeah. like I it more or less feels like we've met these kinds of directors before. And I, I don't want to like, yeah, necessarily write them off because, again, interesting things happen in this movie. Maybe, maybe my hope is that uh, he won't be just like everyone else, um, or or other people, uh, or he'll be more like Goddard after nineteen sixty nine. Right, right, and who knows? I mean, like maybe maybe he gets there. Like, I mean, he clearly uh, he has acknowledged the problem that exists in society. Let's right, like that's an important yeah. step. So you know, ultimately. The bulk of this movie is, uh, you know, our main character, who's not named on screen anyway, um, doing very domestic work. You know, he's making himself dinner because the dinner his wife made him was unacceptable to him by the time he got to it. Um, it was just cold. You yeah. Know? Try, uh, yeah. I mean, so he decided, he decided to make himself dinner. Uh, but that is dichotomized against he has randomly found this gun, and not just any gun, but a gun implied to be John Dillinger's gun in a time when uh, Dillinger, I think, is especially uh, an ultimate man's man. Yeah, I mean, the movie culture. is filled with with images of man, men, men, men's 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 men's. Yeah, men's. yeah, the movie's full of we've got fucking uh whatever those you know, matadors and 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 yeah. the movie well i mean as soon as he signs it as soon as he finds the gun we get two minutes of newsreel footage of john dillinger, yeah, of dillinger. So. yeah no I, like well what's really i mean like the movie has its central thesis in the first three minutes of the movie like it's just laid out it's just that it's just that sort of um that synopsis of the work of uh i guess what his name is marcus or something that uh 
that one dimensional man uh essay um, oh yeah it, i mean i you know it, it is that is the thesis of the movie again even that i think that that re, that writing doesn't appear to draw masculine conclusions about this process that that uh, that this again this does but like the thesis is in that little thing that the guy reads at the beginning and that contains all of that information right the idea that like all ideas have to be sort of imported into the the internal sphere they don't nobody's experiencing them they're just importing them and he does that via film right like he is is his masculinity is experienced via film rather than like through actual personal experience and things like that right but the gun is like a is like a, a sudden actual tool for quote unquote real masculinity right yeah of course you know it's not a subtle metaphor i'm surprised he doesn't shoot more people i guess as i mean yeah but i mean honestly but... speaking yeah i i mean I, Getting on the ship of the damned is probably actually the better ending. I was just surprised he didn't kill himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think, I do think the ending of the movie is a good counterpoint to the rest of the movie in terms of, like, it, it is maybe the thing that it operates as a sort of za- saving grace for Ferrari as far as his analysis is concerned because he does make all the wrong, like, these decisions and then get on the ship of the damned. But right. he he so that that may be that may work as a saving grace for the film i i don't know it just but yeah the movie is is still about what it's about right like and um yeah i it's interesting that he repairs the 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 gun by basically cooking it i think that is a is a fascinating thing right and then those sort of processes he goes through with the gun of like essentially feminizing it and then still using it for the the only purpose to which it can be put uh right um yes uh yeah right i think there's a lot of interesting ideas here and i think generally they coalesce into something i'm on board with um but you're right to say that there are there are reasons to be reticent to fully embracing it. Um, and, you know, I think the essay gets into this. I don't want to completely crib from them. But, uh, you know, balancing that this is a pretty misogynistic film mm. uh, against the fact that part of his liberation is through cooking uh a right a traditionally uh feminine activity right but i don't but know even, if the cooking is actually liberative or it is still a part of the sort of him still being uh, like ooh, emasculated ooh, by the system that's interesting yeah i don't know hmm. that i read the cooking as part of liberation uh, I really think he basically his process with a gun is a process that we see where he first tries to feminize it and then he uses it to liberate himself, quote unquote. Right. Again, I very heavy air quotes on the idea that murdering his wife is liberation. Okay, I should be very clear here, but that is what the movie is saying. Let's be very clear here. Um, 
but like I the processes he goes through in the in the house none of those processes otherwise are liberatory they're all the distractions like most of the things he does are all the distractions that the that the the sort of capitalist system has laid out for him in his bourgeois lifestyle to keep him from liberating himself they're all the things that are provided by this society to to make you not engage right there's there's home movie he lives a comfortable lifestyle he's got home movies he's got books he's got he's got tv he's got all and the tv prattles on about like you know like various sorts of like fashion things and how they were yeah it's all designed to tell you that like this is all garbage right and that again i have no problem with that argument okay the problem comes into that the argument is also that that is a an emasculating process that he ought to be out there like I don't know stabbing wild boar with spears. I don't know what what people like, I, that strikes me always as a call to the past sort of argument that like oh men yeah. used to be men. And then whenever somebody says that well you and I live in the time we live in, we we're actively going through a process that uses that rhetoric for fascism. Do you similarly then maybe playing off of that. Do you think our issue here is that uh we are once again, and this has happened before, encountering a an uh, anarchism as critique of uh, capitalism that we want to be left, but is actually libertarianism. Uh, um, I, I I honestly do believe that that I think that because of the opening thing, it is it is it is definitely at least Marxist in like initial conception. Right. That opening essay is about how, about the alienation created by industrial capitalism. Yes. Like it just is. And so by that nature, because the analysis derives from there, that is not where libertarian philosophy derives any meaning from. I think this is, this is a classic case of, Society has at least analysis of of those sorts of ideas has moved on, and you and I, by nature, have been carried along on that wave to a different spot where, like, Marxists should not be concerned with the emasculation of the male, right? As a as a fundamental like component of the uh, of 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 the process of alienation via capitalism, right? Like that's not a thing we talk about because that's we know. It centers the 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 male in this process as primary, and that no one and that like makes it the central figure of the 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 capitalist process, right? That like that's the person who's being affected by this. Everybody else is a is an onlooker, is a uh, an adjunct to that that process, right? And it concerns itself with a thing that I find to be I'm reticent to engage with at all, which is the idea of quote unquote masculinity. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I frankly, sir, do not buy it. (laughs) Like, I'm not having it. So a lot of the background media, the stuff playing on the television, uh, or what he sees the maid doing Mm -hmm. when he first walks into her room is also engaging with a uh, female-oriented media 
Right. Um, can we, are we willing to, on the benefit of the doubt, I suppose, uh-huh. method, um, is Ferrari complaining about the feminization of pop culture or is he complaining about the co-option of feminism by pop culture? I would say that he's probably doing both. I would say that that he is arguing probably that 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 the femini- that the co-option of feminism well, like less feminism and more the co-option of um femininity, right? Uh Yeah. in service of emasculation. Yes. I say I say feminism there in Right, I know, yeah. an idea yeah. that controlling that women actually controlling feminization is itself a, right but a, I, I think the movie does make the, the 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 does argue that none of those women have any power over the system either yeah like it to be very clear and that to a certain extent is what makes sort of that that part of the film where the the part i don't like the specific part of the film that i find very distasteful is upsetting is that like his wife has no power in this system either. Right. She is who she is because of the same system, right? Like the, the, the women we meet in this movie are victims of this system too, right? Like they are, their, their femininity has been co-opted for the purposes that. Right. His, his wife's entire life that we see is in bed. It's in bed and it revolves. They call her pill popping. I, We only get a very mild amount of evidence of that, but uh, right. sure, we'll, we will assume that it is at, you know it is taken as writ that like that uh, that taking sleeping pills combined with it being 1969 and her suffering from an incredible high amount of ennui means that she's pill popping. Yeah. Like I can I can agree with that because that seems to be a sort of a sort of a film uh, sub- language thing in 1960s suburban housewife on right, exactly is, it's it's pill yeah. it, there's it's always pill popping in, in movies right but like or or alcohol but yeah yes. it's one <laughs> two yeah i mean but either way i mean we see that like the maid is is a victim of this system too right like she's obsessed with this sort of this idol that like really doesn't do anything for her life or make anything better it's just a way to get her to spend money and and like the there's these the i would say that the most interesting women in the movie are the young women on TV who are yeah. kind of going through a process of deciding how much of that they want to or don't want to engage with uh is a is a fascinating look it is probably one of the things i found more one of weirdly one of the things i found very fascinating about the movie is that it just spends a little bit of time Engaging with the idea that, like, these young women don't know how much of this fucked up system they actually want to be a part of. Yeah. Uh, But it is also the first instance, mild, at least at first, of him uh, lusting after an image. Right. Which is, is if, if the maid is meant to be critique, certainly his lust after that image. Yeah, absolutely. Is also the same critique. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that, like, to a certain extent, that is Ferrari a little bit engaging with the idea that, like, he can't even register the the actual conversation they're having. He can only register 
hey, look at that pretty face on the screen. Right. Which tells us that, like, he's not really, at that point, has not, like, that's early, but he doesn't really actually grow. He just eventually can't handle the system. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's rebellion without growth, if that makes sense. Right. Like, he, and he's... And he's listening to a bunch of pop music that vaguely talks about freedom. Right. But it's it's still pop music that is part of that capitalistic system. Right. right? Uh, yeah. And obviously, you know. And he even goes further than what the maid. You know, the maid is essentially humping that poster of, right. <laughs> of the pop star. Uh, but it is it is no less sexualized than what he right. and, attempts and, and to do with the with the whole movie him and the right? maid are meant to be a kind of parallel right they, they in that right. in that capacity they are both given o- they only have images they don't have real life uh to engage yeah. with right um and when they do engage in real life it's awkward and strange and and not satisfactory for anybody involved right like it's just right. strange um because right. they don't actually know how to relate to each other and th- and there's an argument. I believe that Ferrari is actually making an emasculation argument there, but there's also just a generic, non-weird masculinity-based bullshit argument there that, like, yes, the alienation produced by the system makes it hard to relate, makes it hard or impossible to relate to your fellow man, right? Like that's part of the alienation, right? So they can't form any sort of meaningful connection. I think the movie is making one because he does it basically because he has a dick that doesn't work. But like, you if you take that part out, you do get the the right answer, which is they don't, they cannot and do not know each other because of the relationship that they have with each other, which is a inherently capitalistic relationship. He pays her to clean right. her his house. Right. Like they cannot and do not know each other. And. And before he engages in the sexual encounter, he physically he, puts money into her hand. Yeah. While she's asleep. Right. And also makes her clean his house a little bit before that. Like, right. Like, right. very dismissively makes her clean the, the table. Like, and so I think we get that classic, we get a pretty classic problem, which is like, Ferrari can be both right and wrong, right? He can be wrong about some parts of it and right about other parts of it, right? Like, he's got the relationship down pat right like there but he just wants to add in this little little juice of masculinity which is just not necessary <laughs> like the the relationship the problems with the relationship has nothing to do with his dick and everything to do with the fact that they have this fucked up like hierarchy hierarchical relationship that doesn't make that is not good um right yeah so i don't i don't know there's a lot of um yeah, it, there's a lot of that kind of for me there's a lot of that in this movie where like there's parts where it's really hitting really hard on the actual inherent problems with this system and then parts where it's like well, but I also really need you to know that this the snake is a dick. I need you to understand <laughs> that the only way he can relate sexually to his wife is through like a toy because he is a baby man. Right. And I could even well, get behind. You know. I can even get behind the idea of of it of the idea that the capitalist system has to sort of make us behave like children. That like that you have to have diversion after diversion after diversion to keep you occupied, and that is a childish sort of way to live. But again, 
the no s- dicks necessary. Is it an argument that the system is so insidious that this is the only way uh, he particularly, not, not broadly speaking, but, but some men, as, as articulated through our main character, this is the only way that uh, rebellion can happen is through regression. Um, right, but the, the, I, I, there's a valid and, argument and again, to be discussed about whether or not rebel, whether the regression is rebellion or the system's actual purpose. And I would argue that oh, the system's yeah. actual purpose right. is to regress you enough that you are not taking things in a mature way that allows you to consider their real meaning. Right? It needs you to act like a child the way a child acts, which is like, hey, like I'm having fun here. Like I don't need to know why it exists or why any of it works this way or any of that because all it matters is I'm having air quotes fun, right? He just jumps from diversion to diversion to diversion like a child. Like he runs around and that's frankly right. not even giving children enough credit because even all the children I know in my life are not that f- flighty. Yeah. Uh and so like it's almost more like a baby than it is even like a child. But um I don't think that argument is wrong. It's just, you know, there's this extra added bit of, but what about penises that seems to be charged in there that I don't like? Um, Otherwise, I agree with the arguments being made, right, about, like, he's, like, watching TV and he's watching these movies and he's engaging with the world, but he doesn't engage with the world. He just engages with, like, fucking shadows on the cave wall and, and, and that sort of stuff, right? Um and so right. it's, it's, yeah, I, I, I'm really of very strong two minds about that. The film, the films that he watch, mm-hmm. one very, very clearly are distorted. Yes, memories, distorted images. Right. You know, he's portraying, he's he's, you know, projecting them in a distorted manner, uh, and then there are distortions within. Right. The film as well, like when they're in the Hall of Mirrors, um, you know. So they are. There's that regression aspect that he is chasing a false memory, but he is also watching films of a time of happiness, uh, right? You know, a vacation, right? right? A time outside of, well, our vacation, our vacations to the beach outside of the capitalist system. Is, they're they're is, not. I mean, like he's they're he's, not. He but. is. <laughs> He is he is chasing a memory of an actual experience rather than a sort of simulated yeah. experience inside of his cage. Um, right. But it's inside of a bigger um, cage. It's still a right. Right. It's still right, right, right. like going to the beach is still a simulated experience because you are not like you're not actually on the beach. You're on what the system has given you to be the beach. Right. Like. Yeah. I don't. I don't like that he kills his wife as his escape. That is, we're, I want to be clear on that, that we're in agreement there. Um, I think within the realm of the movie, the killing of his wife is itself a symbolic suicide in the same way that all of his play actings of suicide have been up to that. Uh, yes, I, I would also agree with that. But I, but he also seems to be killing the feminine part of him. Yeah. Which is a, which is um, a, which is a thing well, to say. Another thing, though, I don't know that Ferrari would ever even think to make this argument, but it is interesting that, uh, you know, we talk about cooking. I've already said cooking as as women's work, cooking within the home is women's work. Uh, being a chef is traditionally man's work. Yes. 
and it's that co-option of of feminine duties uh, to create a masculine job. Uh, and so it's interesting that his his escape is he cooks one meal for himself and then immediately goes and gets a job as a chef. Uh, right. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's definitely part of it, right? Like that, that is meant to be like that, like even his drive to get out of the system involves him, like just engaging with the system in a different way. Uh, yeah. On. And I repeat a ship of the damned. Right. Right. But but, you know, but even if it's not Tahiti has traditionally been a escapist well that's what i what within I, european I'm, I'm being, culture i'm being a yeah. little i i think the the shift to red in the negative is very much a clear indication yeah, yeah. that this is it fucking is hell but obviously like, yes but but also i think even even as a subtler side note going to tahiti going to tahiti as a essentially a mythical place that doesn't yes a mythical paradise right exactly is is, is part of that right and the way he is imagine he's going to get there is by getting a job Right, like I mean, and 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 a job. Bear in mind, okay. Let's just throw it out here again. I do not agree with this. Again, I find the entire notion of masculinity to be a. Uh, we don't. I don't need none of this. But, but, he gets a job working for a woman. Yes, and and and, and so he, and that's what makes it hell. Well, see, that's what, uh, that's where we get into a, a a problem is that like I don't think that was what necessarily Ferrari was going for. It just happens to be that like his brain is in that place throughout the making of this movie about this emasculation thing that that just comes as a part of it. Yeah, I don't think that's what makes it hell. I think it's the fact that like also it's it's a he's reengaged with the system just in a different way to go to a place that's made up. Yeah. And of course he will be emasculated because he is working for a woman. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. The Tahiti for me brings to mind Gauguin, um, the painter mm. from the late 19th century, who is famous for his paintings. He, he lived in Tahiti and painted Tahitian women, particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think something the movie is less overt about, and maybe to the point where it's it's not trying to critique this aspect. Um, but in making me think of Gauguin, I also think of uh, Gauguin's embracing of Tahiti as a paradise of freedom also involved uh, pedophilia. Uh, I mean... Um, or engagement with, with underaged uh, right. women, at least. Uh, <clears throat> and we get hints of that in the first television show. Yes, of him I will. Yeah, for sure. Lusting Absolutely. after teenage girls. I mean, we we are, uh, and, and unlike a lot of other situations, we actually know how old they are, and they are absolutely like, right, right. Or they name they, how old they are. Yeah, right? they are. They are like twelve years old. They are even like preteens. It's yeah, yeah. So you know, there is there is this aspect of, uh, and I think this is something I think Ferrari uh, Ferrari would critique. Um, but the aspect of bourgeois ideas of freedom, right. of bucking the system, uh, are uh, often encased within a sexual liberation that is an exploitative sexual yeah. liberation, whether it be pedophilia or uh, seducing your maid. Yeah, no, uh, yes, I I agree. I think, yes. 
like I that's where I'm kind of like I'm not willing to just draw a hard line on Ferrari and say like no 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 I don't like like he's a mixed bag it seems like yeah like I think he understands the thing you just described and that's part of this being a ship of the day in some ways right and like there's a there's a reason why he shows him lusting after a 12-year-old girl on TV right yeah. like there's reasons why and 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 the maid is meant to be immature i don't know how old the maid is but the maid acts immature right so these are all right. aspects i just think that like we also are combining it with a with a belief that maybe again we get into really murky territory where it's like well definitely ferrari has has noted that and made that part of the work it's just I mean, and even as you mentioned, the woman on the boat seems very young. Yes. Like it, it's it. And that is part of his his march towards his liberation turning out to be damnation. Right. Like he it's all part of that. Right. It's just that, like I don't know if how that relates to the whole very clear like arguments about masculinity that also predominate in this. I don't. Like, I guess both things can just exist, right? They can just both exist at the same time. That he can be wrong about X and right about Y, right? Um, yeah. Because that's, that's a very valid critique that he very clearly seems to be making. This guy is going... that This guy's idea of liberation turns out to be a very bourgeoisie idea of liberation rather than maybe the right answer. Doesn't necessarily counteract the idea that also Ferrari believes that, like... Capitalism emasculates men, right? Like they, they're not they're not inherently contradictory. They can both be true, and I think they both are true. And of course, if we look at other, uh, other men of his time, real life men of his time, other directors we've already mentioned, uh, plenty of people who had positioned themselves as leftists uh, also pursue those same. Uh, uh, abusive. Yes, absolutely. And and we and I'm not accusing. I do not want to accuse Ferrari of actually engaging in that behavior or anything like that. Yeah. In fact, it does seem to be a critique he is putting into the movie. Yeah, I think he is actually. Yeah, critiquing and that and behavior. so, but like you know, but he also carries around an idea, very clearly carries around an idea that was also dominant at the time about what exactly who the central character of of capital, like the capital exploitation, is. Uh, yeah, and that's that's got it's a problem, but it doesn't mean that he's like bad, right? It just means that he's not a hundred percent right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like you can just be not a hundred percent correct, um, and make a movie that is not a hundred percent right, right? Like you can just make a movie that's ninety percent right, uh, yeah. and has a lot of very valid critiques about this system, right? And so, like, I would give him like an A minus, yeah, you know, like B plus. Uh, if you know, if you had to put, held a polka dot gun to my head and told me to grade him on this, um, the other thing that I think is interesting, a thing that I wanted to talk about that is only tangentially related to this movie, is the idea okay. of ennui as a critique of capitalism. Uh, yeah, it's really fascinating to me because my question for you is: Does ennui still exist? Oh man! In, 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 given um, the state of 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 late stage capitalism that we are in now, 
I'm not asking when he existed. Very clearly in the 1960s, early 70s, Ennui fucking existed because there were a lot of bougie people going through a lot of shit. I understand the question. Okay, I just wanted to be clear. Uh, For people like you and I, no. Okay. But that is because we have actually, essentially many people in our position of our age, uh, even white people who, you know, white men who grew up in sort of suburban atmospheres uh, have been, I think, locked out of... Of, of that, right? Middle-class norms, right? right? Uh, and, and ennui is is a direct result of right. middle-classness, um, at least as far as we're talking about it and as far as the films we've ever watched that talk about ennui or you know, are, are talking about it. Um, I think there are people who have not been locked out of that. Okay. Who still, but who still experience that ennui. That's, that's where I'm curious the, is do they, I think, do they, we, I think ennui is so quietly experienced right. always right. unless you've got a microphone already. Unless you have movies. And the yeah. people, the people who have that microphone now uh, <laughs> uh, tend to fun- funnel everything that would be on we into fascism. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> or, see, that's, that's kind of what I was wondering about. Like that's yeah. kind of where I or was. Or they've also been locked out of the, right. Yeah, is that like, or they've been locked out of that system and have have uh, you know gone gone a leftist route. Right. Uh, but I think there are people within the system. No, that, but see, that's just... what I, okay. So, and I know we cannot know the answer to this. I, I understand the question I'm asking is is unanswerable. Okay, I just it was a thought puzzle I wanted to go through because, given yeah. the shift in the nature of capitalism as it relates to to our generation and people now, all the people. Okay, so like l- let's run through this. Okay, there is the percentage of the, the high percentage of people who are locked out of of this kind of bourgeoisie life, where like yeah. ennui can't exist because you just don't have a life like that. Um, and even even people who are who would fit into a middle class or like bourgeoisie sort of like category are working nine fucking jobs. So you can't have ennui because you're too busy working nine jobs, right? Like ennui yeah. is for people who have free time. Um, ennui is not for people who work eight jobs to you know get why? by. Okay, so obviously there's a generation genera- generational thing here too. Right. I think there are older. There are older people, particularly in the U.S. context, but perhaps around the world, who experience ennui as a uh, desire for a, uh, let's say, um, well, we'll use their terminology, a uh, time when things were less divided. Yeah, okay. Uh, and, and so I'm, and what I'm wondering is, whereas, is that still ennui or not? That's uh, what I'm I don't to know that that's on ennui. I will say the other place where ennui has morphed uh, in younger generations, uh, they've just become YouTube stars. Right, uh, right, right. Yeah. And so, the, and the, but that's the thing, though, right? Is that like, I, okay, I, I I agree with you. Like I like my thing that I'm kind of going through here with this is that have we eliminated almost entirely the group of people who would have ennui? And turn it into different things such that ennui as a concept essentially doesn't exist. Because if you're a okay. YouTube star, now you're in the in the in the grind culture, in the hustle culture, right? You're either have made it and you're not having That's ennui fair. because like you have like even your YouTubers are working fucking nine hour days. 
right? There's the ones who are like, have like tons of family money who become YouTube stars because they could just throw gobs of money at it, right? And then there are the okay. ones that seem to be working 12, 14 hour days to make this happen. So, so all across the board, everything we've talked about, I think so far, is that um, Ennui is a, uh, an alienation um, because of a lack of community. Right. It's a, and, but specifically combined with time for idlery, where you right. actually have time to just be with the fact that yes. you have no community. Right. Um, whereas now, that idleness, we have, we have connection without community, certainly. But we have such constant connection. Right. That I don't want to turn this into a critique of that constant connection. I think that constant connection can lead to very good things. Right. Um, but it may be so constant that a traditional ennui can right. no longer and, exist. And so my argument would be, I think the closest thing we have ennui. to ennui. I hate, that. I hate that I said that. I'm sorry. But I, I, but. Think, it's, I think it is correct. I don't think the traditional ennui, the, the ennui of 1960s just doesn't exist anymore. Right. But. I would argue that probably the closest, as we're going through this, I did not think of this earlier. The closest we have to ennui now is doom scrolling. <laughs> that might be right. I believe that I do actually probably experience something that is analogous to dooms or to ennui, and it is the fact that from about the hour of eight o'clock to nine o'clock, I have enough free time to sit on my phone and like fucking just wallow in the nightmare. Yeah, and and the difference um, that defines that is the fact that like people who are going through ennui in 1969, 19 early 70s, all the these film guys, these things that these films are made about. Well, a they didn't have that, but but also yeah. they they were they were nebulously unhappy, whereas yeah. we're actually presented with things that are happening in the world to be unhappy about. Right, ennui ennui has always been self you know self cared for right right and and i use that self care in in the way it's used today through ennui has been counteracted or attempted to be counteracted personally through cons conspicuous consumption right uh and i think there is a valid argument to be made that uh doom scrolling is the conspicuous consumption of information i would agree i agree i just don't know if if I suppose you get into a kind of a divide between sort of the practical manifestation of like the way on we like is corrected versus the sort of like what we see on we as right because like on right. is an internal emotion right that is is that is we see manifested in film and art and stuff as this sort of listlessness this sort of the, the, these behaviors, right? Because we can't see internally; we can only see the the physical affectations that result from it, right? And right. I suppose those physical, a lot of those physical affectations still exist. It was just my thought process when I was watching is that like there, that sort of like wandering around the house listless because like you like have a lot of free time but not a lot of like community is not a thing really like lots of people don't have community although i don't know like there's a lot of talk these days about community and connection and and whether or not like i i think to a certain extent it's overplayed i think we have as a society decided that like much like we decide things about 
millennials or Gen Z or something, that they just don't have a real community. And, like, that's probably true for some people, but, like, most people I've ever met in my life seem to have a community of people that with whom they spend time and have formed community with. Like, I think it's actually impossible to for human beings to operate sans community, like, writ large. <laughs> like, maybe it's not as, 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 as robust as it was because of the way the system works. And, of course, capitalism wants to sort of alienate you from that because that community is not a thing it wants you to have once quote right. unquote as though it's alive and has a, a mind but like i don't know I, I i just when i look when we watch these movies about this kind of ennui it always i always find myself reflecting on the idea like i don't know anybody who has a life like that at this point i don't know i i would i would say it is being solved in ways that look different yeah but ultimately, ideologically, perhaps are still not going that on. different. Because that same, you know, think of the think of the ways that in the past such middle class ennui might be solved, and it would be uh, perhaps a, a pet cause. Yeah, okay. and and certainly resist Twitter is a pet cause for a wide. That's true. That's true. You know. Yeah, of, I think of, you're right. Yeah, of a a makes me feel like I'm having political engagement without actually doing right. anything meaningful. I guess and it, even, right. you know, resist I say resist Twitter, but even a lot of leftist Twitter is like that too. And a lot of a lot of the in person actions right. I have gone to right. have been just marching in circles. Right. Although so, I would I I I I am unsure. I think the desire to have that participation is is part of the manifestation of ennui. I think the, the the sort of ineffectualness of it is the result of the fact that like the system is inherently oh, yeah, that's just to make sure you so, cannot so do those actions, right? You you would right. not cannot do those actions. I, I think the pet cause is definitely that. I and I, I you yeah. know I think this uh, is a would you would you say then, Pat? That the system is so insidious that the only the only course of action to find meaning is harm of self or your loved ones no, uh, to uh, to murder your wife. No, I would not. <laughs> or that it could, or that it could come off that way. Uh, I don't know. I'm just trying to get back to the movie. I know. I know. Uh, but, <laughs> I, but I but I think a, 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 a legitimate, honest discussion about ennui, since it is it is the hallmark of this film and a lot of films oh, from yeah. this era that we have talked about is something I've wanted yeah. to talk about for a while and this is like the perfect right. one, and and like, right and and yeah. you know we we of course always talk about on we when we talk about Wes Anderson movies but even at this point Wes Anderson seems nostalgic for a sense of on we yeah I don't even uh, know like Wes yeah. Anderson's films almost it's almost as though somebody built a diorama of what ennui is. I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> right, it's right. not actual ennui. It's like a, it's a, it's a, like a, a like a facade of ennui. It's a, it's a, it's a yeah. school play of what ennui is. I don't, it's different because it doesn't feel like real ennui to me. It, it, it yeah, these, these feel like real ennui. Like when you watch these movies from the sixties and seventies that have this, you know, I, I call to mind the one about the guy, the swimming guy. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, the, swimmer, the swimmer, which okay. wasn't part of the Criterion Collection, right. but it is the oh, swimmer, is and we watched it for a bonus episode. Oh, I thought that was we watched it for a bonus okay. episode. Well, it definitely yeah. it it feels very similar. To but this, yes. right? It feels it yes. reminds me of th- these movies. They, you could make a box set called like maybe I should kill myself and just make it. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's just these hyper on films that we've, we've seen. It's not the only ones um, for sure. Um, yeah. But like, I don't know. It, it's, I just, it's a, a thing I run through in my mind when I'm watching it because like, 
to a certain extent, this kind of ennui feels alien now. And so I find myself wondering, is it because ennui, as they understood it, isn't possible now? Is it manifested differently? Um, I, I think it's just impossible for you. Maybe. Uh, well, I, but I also think about the fact that, like, none of the people that we see as these these sort of very, very bougie ennui havers was working eight jobs. Right. You know what I mean? None of them were working at least three extra jobs to, like, keep things afloat. And to a certain extent, I feel like that sort of grind removes some of the time one has available to, like, engage in this sort of very, like, calm ennui and it's more the it's it's more intense and nightmarish now maybe i don't know right right and even like yeah this guy has insomnia but also a lot of time (laughs) like i i my nights do are not what appears to be like 12 hours long i don't know well of course not because what you do what you do after your wife goes to bed is this well you record this podcast (laughs) <laughs> what I mean is, is that like we, we once a week, but yes, well, I, I do another thing on, I, no, I don't record I anything. Else. Oh, I, okay. I yes. have two nights a week where I like, I have decided to ruin my life and not sleep. I see. Uh, I see. <laughs> like, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, but you, you haven't decided to murder your wife in her sleep as part of this process. No, so. no. That's Let's good. be very, very clear here. I feel like I have to hedge my bets just in case, like, like, I don't know, like, somebody breaks into my house and now it's like, and now this is all uses evidence against you, Pat. Like you're, <laughs> Oh no. You, all right. You uh, ennuied your wife to death. Um, I'm going to hope. Uh, let's hope that doesn't happen. I have nightmares. Uh, okay. I think most people who are married and have a family have nightmares about their family being hurt. It's, it is uh, normal. Understandable. Um, yes. but yeah, no, in the end, the, the, the I, I, yeah, I guess in the end, it, it doesn't, not only doesn't exist. It just feels like, We've had to have it compressed. Like, it's like the ennui, like a lot of things, the system has, like, compressed it and made it more intense but shorter. If that makes sense, is maybe what I'm thinking. Like, you don't have four hours for your ennui. You have that 15 minutes while you're on your bathroom break at work. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I talked about this, uh, you know, a few months ago. Um I did. Uh, I hosted a, a May Day labor history of my city, Columbus, Ohio, a bike ride for the Democratic Socialists of America uh, chapter here in Columbus. And uh, you know, in being May Day, we of course talk about Haymarket, and Haymarket uh, is built around the demand for the eight-hour day. And the demand for the eight-hour day is eight hours of work, eight hours of leisure, eight hours of rest. Oh. Uh, to dream, the impossible dream. To dream, right? No, of course, and that's and that's the thing. You know, labor movements of the early nineteen uh, or late nineteenth, early twentieth century, uh, many of them won that. But the idea was, uh, the eight-hour day was a fight for a living wage, a job that paid well enough in eight hours of work, right? That you had enough time to enjoy the fruits of that labor, to live on your living wage, and you know. Even, you know, an eight-hour job today, if you could find such a thing, doesn't exist. Uh, does, just doesn't exist, Straight or does doesn't not, pay. I do not believe it exists. Doesn't, right, right, because you know we've we've given up that uh, because either you're working multiple eight-hour jobs to actually 
uh, make a living, uh, in which case you are working too much to live, or uh, you are working what is ostensibly an eight-hour job but is actually a 10-hour job or more. Uh, or you're doing some in the nice manner. little conglomeration of one of the, you know, you, there's, a, there's all right, a right. million variations of the, but it always comes down to yeah. you are not you are not working for only eight hours and then going home and living an eight right. hour like right. lifetime, right. or you're you know sitting in traffic for three hours a day even if you are working an eight hour right. job. Right. Absolutely, uh, you know, there's plenty of plenty of ways where we have lost the battle for the eight hour workday as workers, uh, and it's you know it's a it's not something we really talk about or think about. Um, or like, you know, uh, the March on Washington for Jobs, uh, that uh, the the event where uh, MLK gave the I Have a Dream speech. Right. One of the demands of that event was a living wage um, to raise the minimum wage by something like, I think, 75 cents at that time. The living wage at that time not the living wage, I'm sorry, the uh, the minimum wage at that time adjusted for inflation would be something like $10 an hour. Right. Now. The minimum wage in the U.S. right now is $7.75. 85 cents, I think, actually. Um, but in any case, sub $8. Right. So, so in 1968, the, uh, the the amount of hourly wage that they were already saying is not a living wage. They were demanding more had buying power greater than minimum right. wage today. And bear in mind uh, also <laughs> that like the cost of living in many aspects of life has increased way right, out of right. context. In, like in, with inflation yeah. has not been proportional across, right. across the board. Uh, yeah. Um, particularly housing yeah. and, and education prices have, have skyrocketed in ways that are not reflective, even as gas prices and food prices have gone up uh, relatively recently, but also disproportionately to, to you know, a normal price index things. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's... We, <laughs> we, are, we are in a position today where... Uh, Everything's just become so obfuscated that, uh, you know, it's hard for a general person to feel ennui because they're too busy. That's that's <laughs> kind of what ennui. I was getting at is that, right. like, I don't know anybody who has one eight hour a day job. Right. That, like, lives up. And they're kept and they're kept busy and they're encouraged to have uh, uh, something to fill that time. Right. Binge watch this TV show. Right, this and, and, and we definitely do see show. that in this, right? Or, like there, there is that, or, like occupy your right. mind with these, with this garbage. Oh yeah, yeah. That yeah. that's definitely yeah. part of this because that that is a fun, a fundamental part of the way this system, the capitalist system, has to work. Right, it needs right, and, it yeah. needs to try to distract you from engaging with at it. At no point, at no point in his entire night awake, awake does the television or the radio go off air. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Um, and so, like, I yeah, I don't. I, it's just yes, I, I I keep coming back to this because it, it's yeah. I mean, like the the way we're talking about wage and stuff like that just means that like ennui just requires you to have some leisure hours, right? Like you just have to have them, and like right. And I think I think there are people, people do have with like, those leisure hours. I have leisure those hours. Those exist, not a lot, but I have right. Them. 
and then and then that we are encouraged to just like jam some culture down your brain yeah in those leisure hours while also doom scrolling please could you also doom scroll right um right. yeah no i i yeah i agree it, it's i like i said i think really what i'm getting at in the end when i think about it and and like sort of like really this part i wanted to go through all this stuff was kind of like to see where we kind of landed on it uh i do believe that the on we has been compressed we're like we're we're given a yeah. more intense but shorter dose of time to have it in right right um and that affects the way it works right like it's there's no malaising around the house it's more like i think it's more like more intense and more palpable yeah uh, because well, it's, it's shorter and you have a lot more going on this the system has uh hyper condensed that consumption right to to the point where uh you know we are not of course you and i were never the the middle class sort of the swimmer right where we could spend our leisure time at our own personal pool or well and that, uh, that, that's, yeah, that's gone too but to be very clear yeah. you're not buying that on any sort of salary that you would normally get at a job right you know it's still where that where that leisure exists it is uh there is there's a conspicuous consumption to fill that absolutely, leisure. absolutely, um, and a, a pressure uh, that has manifested uh, uh, quite well as a social presser to fill that, right? Fill that, yeah. fill that time, right? Um, we are we are not meant to be idle in the society that we have today, right? Even if our even if what our uh, time is being filled is not exclusively meant to make or spend money it almost always is yeah i can um, hardly think of anything that isn't but yeah well sometimes sometimes our time is filled well even that spending money i was going to say sometimes our time is spent uh making sure our children become uh good consumers for the future and that that's not that you know well and, and uh, keep in mind that, like, or, or what thing, things but, that weren't didn't used to be commodified like were not for sale have nearly everything has been rendered a product for sale like right, even right. things that were just community goods now are things that you have to spend money on to participate in like right. when you think about the things you engage with that like even 20 years ago would not have cost you money to do now cost you money to do yeah uh, it's nearly everything like there's literally almost nothing there's literally no free like not even free cuz obviously taxes and stuff like that but like there's no community objects st- and, and this is coming from I live in a place where there are actually still like community centers and stuff. Like my kids right. went to a gym today that they didn't have to pay to go to. Like, uh, yeah, like I mean, they, they participate in it. But like, but for example, the person who is hosting the event, we have paid him because in order to make it possible for him to spend his leisure time doing this, we need to pay him to do it. Right to host this thing right. he was doing, which maybe twenty years ago he would have just hosted because like, hey, I've got eight hours of time and like I really enjoyed doing this and teaching kids how to do right. this but now he needs to be paid because it's going to take up two hours of his life that he can't it can't just be community volunteer activity because that that's that's antithetical now that's not possible um right uh yeah so I yep uh which which yeah we we can I mean like I've I'm satisfied with our discussion of ennui. I also bear in mind that while we're talking this I keep thinking about the commercials I see for DoorDash that make me want to I don't know do something horrible. They just make me so uncomfortable. <laughs> They're like all like 
like they imply that people do DoorDash because they like doing it and they really want to do it. Yeah. They're yeah. the most fucked up commercials I have ever seen in my entire life. And that yeah. that's saying something. The thing that they claim in there makes me want to punch TV screens. They it, they're just yeah. it's so upsetting every time I see one of them. It's like you you do this because you love this like you love doing it, man. Like and you can you can get some extra spending money. It's like, "No. No. Please stop. Please stop doing this." I mean, partic- particularly now when you're not making enough money to cover gas. Uh no. Right. Well, and terrible. also like you're not making you're, nobody nobody's that spare money is the money that you should have gotten from your regular job that you wouldn't like right. you, you you don't need to have an extra job to have spending money to like per, Yeah. Well, the immiseration of the, the that's built into the system is is hitting a an inflection point where like literally you're going to immiserate people beyond Yeah, like it's Right. We're at an interesting point in time, Adam. Wherein the systems need to immiserate the people who who, who make it work has has hit a critical point where it can't, it's literally not sustainable. So I don't know what happens now. Well, unfortunately, uh... but that's not the topic of today's discussion. Yeah, all I can say is, boat of the damned. <laughs> it is actually my favorite thing to, that happens in the movie. I, to if, think. If I'm being honest. To think you are serendipitously going to go to Tahiti. Uh, but actually, uh, I don't know. Is it is the implication that she's a vampire? Maybe that's why she looks so Okay, young. well, that's a fascinating implication. I mean, she is because she is a probably a capitalist, so. Well, yes, yes. I mean, she does. We, we don't actually know what the pay relationship on this system is. I don't know. It could be anything, I guess. Uh, but we can make assumptions and, uh, yeah, it, I think the, you know, he's, she does immediately steal his necklace. This is true. <laughs> All right, okay. So uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the implication is that she is, a, she is that kind of vampire. Yeah. Um, I, I assume that it was, is a, is a hallmark of more of the, 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 the like he's submitting to her already. It's a, it's sort of a submission thing. Yeah. I think uh, while that'll be the image that sticks with you, and and it will stick with me, I think the the main image that will stick with me from this movie is him uh, just spending minute after minute, almost but not quite, stabbing his eye with a screwdriver while he cleans out the revolver. This chamber. is true. Uh, I had dreams and hopes about that scene. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I. I mean, actually, honestly speaking, the thing that's I I, I do think that the the final scene is is very impactful. I think it it does a right. lot in a very short I amount do. of time to tell you like where Ferry actually comes down on certain issues and stuff. Um, I think that and like honestly, my favorite thing is just the the scientist at the beginning just reading him a book, basically that he that he's yeah. acting like are his notes on gas mass building, like right like. Oh, I prepared these notes about the the gas mask we're working on, and it's just it's just a, a small like yeah, but it's uh, like a, it's a treatise on alienation. First off, right. is what he's actually reading, right, right. Uh, but then our main character uh, interjecting to say, "I don't want to design these anymore." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's just going off. There's it's a, good. There's a f- a fascinating amount of sort of like alienation and disconnection even between those two in the beginning, which I think is really right, really right. helpful and interesting. Yes, but. But the I don't know 
Uh, There's a lot of good scenes in the movie. Don't the idea of of the introduction is that, um, I suppose, consumerism itself is a mask we wear in order yeah, to absolutely. survive the dehumanizing effects of the industry right. uh, and commerce and, and capitalism around us. But uh, he never successfully takes off that mask, and I'm a little disappointed by that. Right, and end. I think, and to a certain extent, like, I have my other complaints, but I, I think the, the we are getting to a point where, like, I think Ferrari wants to say that. Is that, like... That he took off the mask? No, that he doesn't. That, like, oh, that the mask is... He doesn't... He doesn't know how, and he doesn't figure it out. Right. Like, he tries something, and it's the wrong answer. And then doesn't get a chance to try something else. Right. and, and Because and he, he's on the ship right, of the Right, and now he's on the ship of the dam. He, he, I do think, legitimately, the Ferrari recognizes that, like, this is not taking the mask off. He failed. Yeah. That, like, he is still just as alienated, just as trapped behind it as he was before, and that's probably why he's on the ship to a ship of the damned right like he's you you done fucked up you didn't do it right um and i think that's that is fascinating i i just am fascinated by a mood there's something despite my complaints about the movie there is something beautiful to me to a person making a movie that is written that is in its structure in many ways just an academic thesis like it's yeah. it literally has its thesis like people you read film theory and stuff where they tell well the thesis of the film is at the beginning and you know the a movie establishes like what it's going to be about right and what it's going to talk about and, the, and what it's yeah this, this movie didactically it, it, tells yes, us exactly. what it's going to and be and there's about, something so. beautiful to me about just having a character that we'll never meet again at the beginning yeah. of the movie just read you the thesis like literally read it from a piece of paper is there's yeah. something there is something beautiful about that to me, and then the main character responds with "shut up," and he <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically no, which is which is which is part of Ferrari's point, right? The mask doesn't come off right. because he doesn't listen, he doesn't internalize right. that right. information, and he just goes on, and like he still tries to escape because the ennui is overwhelming, but like yeah. he doesn't do it right. He can't. Ah, uh, yeah, well. It's been us talking about Dillinger's Dead, which, yeah, obviously a spirited conversation I really loved. Uh, yeah, from 1969, directed by Marco Ferrari. Uh, next week, we'll be t- jumping into our first Nicholas Ray film. Uh, I think there's three in the collection right now, but we'll be starting it off with Bigger Than Life from 1956 with James Mason, Barbara Rush, and Walter Matthau. Always love Walter Matthau showing yeah, up. Yeah, it's always fun. Uh, yeah, Um I realize I introduced that in a way that suggests we'll be watching more Nicholas Ray films soon, but we will not. Is this the only uh, one? <laughs> this is the only one for a while. This will be uh, 5.07. Our next one after that is 8.10. Okay. So yeah. I have no way. I That's what? How many? That's what? Like uh, six years? Six years. Yeah. Woof. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I'm sure we'll remember his work so, by the time we get to the next one. So I hope we don't really, really fall in love with Nicholas Ray next week and hope that we can see another Nicholas Ray film soon uh, because we won't. Of course, we won't see another Ferrari film at all. Ever, yeah. Uh, well, unless so they add some. There's that. Yeah, but I, I right. don't think that's they likely could. because, again, the descriptions of the film seem to imply that this this is the one that is really yes. the, the real banger. Right, right, right. Uh, anyway, 
Glad to have watched it. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm as always Lee Adam Glass. With me as always, John Patrick Otari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. This has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.